Shira and I want to talk to you about something that's very personal, your body. Remember, it's your body and no one should touch you in a way that you feel is wrong. I'll get anybody who tries it. It's not that easy, Orko. It's hard for a young person to admit that he or she has been touched in a bad way. If you've been touched that way, don't be ashamed. Tell someone you trust, like your parents, your doctor, your teacher, or counselor, or your minister or rabbi. Right, Orko? Right on! Joe. Jacques. Did you hear the one about the two cannibals eating a clown? No. One says to the other, does this taste funny to you? Heyo. Welcome to Carnival Personnel. I'm Joe. I'm Jacques. And we saw Spider-Man. We saw Spider-Man two weeks later. <laughs> we don't want to you know, brag or anything about being on the cutting edge of the, <laughs> the modern And movie. we're talking about the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. <laughs> we just finally got it here. It's on Netflix. Right. Uh, hands down, the best Spider-Man I've seen. Uh, best Spider-Man ever. This year? Maybe No, it, w- it was absolutely great. Uh, I think they finally got it. I shouldn't say they finally got it right. The other, the other ones were fine. But this, I think, was like truest to the conflicted, doesn't really know what he's doing, kind of in over his head, high school kid. Yeah. Kind of just a really sweet kid in the middle of all this stuff trying to figure out where he fits in and high school in the world it was great yeah i liked it uh and the the references to a past spider-man movies uh the lore uh the avengers are heavy heavily sprinkled in this movie right um a lot of surprise a couple of surprise cameos uh you have your traditional stan lee cameo obviously but aside from that um you're pleasantly surprised throughout the entire movie. And there's even a twist. There's even a twist in the movie, boys and girls. Which, which uh, one of the things I don't like about Joe is he, he figured it out just before it happened oh, yeah, it type was, thing. Well, that's like, you know, figuring out that a fire is about to happen like right before your house burns down. Or, or the Titanic was going to sink. Exactly, right, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, you're already like halfway in the ocean. You know, I think we're going to hit an iceberg. It's like, Really doesn't make a big difference, but but I I did. After you see it, you're like, okay, yep, I could I should have saw that, but I didn't. So it was great that I got caught off guard. But I did. I liked that he was a real 15 year old kid, just a real kind of, you know, a nerd in school, not really smooth with girls, not really, yeah, um, you know, big big on taking the selfies. So he was definitely like a millennial kind of. And it's great, kid. and it's great that he's not—he's not alone. He has his best friend in the movie. Right, he has a sidekick, sort of, sort of speaking, a sidekick. The guy kick. in the chair. The guy in the chair, which was a great running gag. Uh, but I did—I love the the. Uh, this is this is what does it take place? Like six years after eight years, eight years, and and when did the? It's basically modern day. Like it takes place. There's a beginning, uh, now we're kind of giving away some of it, but it basically takes place eight years after the Avengers' first movie. Right. So there was, like like you said, a lot of Avengers stuff sprinkled in there, but it was a standalone. Well, it, without giving, we're not giving any spoilers away, but we know Tony, Tony Stark and Iron Man had 
you know, parts in this movie because you can't see a poster without a vendor tower being in the background. Yeah. Or, oh, the trailer. Yeah, if you saw any of the trailers, you know, I mean, that's one thing I didn't like about the marketing of this movie was that Sony being Sony, they gave a lot away in the trailers. You know, like you didn't see it, but like they gave away the Staten Island ferry being so like split apart and then and then rehabilitated by Iron Man. That was in the trailer. So that's so I get made fun of for a lot of reasons. One of reasons is I won't watch trailers. I, there's sometimes you don't have a choice and you see glimpses, but I am. If I'm in a movie theater and the Star Wars trailer will come on, I will shut my eyes, plug up my ears, and hum you know, some pixie song so I don't have to see it. I go well out of my way not to see things, posters or... You love to not know. I love to not What's know. What's the capital of Zaire? <laughs> I don't know that shit, man. But I do. Uh, there's so many podcasts, goofy podcasts I listen to. You know, friends of mine, just this podcast I'm fans of in the nerdy superhero world, which I will go completely on lockdown from for a couple months if a new trailer comes out and you can see the description, oh, they're talking about the new Wonder Woman trailer. They're talking about the new – I don't even want to hear people talk about it. And then when you go back and you listen to the the older shows and the people on the podcast are complaining, the trailer gave away too much, then don't watch the trailer. It's the same thing when your parents are like, oh, I don't like that, you know. Well, that's the thing is like I think we like to be hyped up for a movie and to be teased like a teaser trailer should be. But at the same time, we don't want the trailer to give away too much. Like, I liked the trailer for Rogue One. Like, when, you didn't see it, but when I saw it, it was just hype, hyped enough where you got an idea for the feel of the movie, but it didn't give away any of the major plot points. It didn't give away any big scenes. It didn't give away any big characters, and it was done correctly. So my favorite, you know, comic of all time in, is uh, the Batman-Superman team-up. And one came out, I think it was like 2000, 2001, they did a relaunch. And they didn't they didn't really title it. It was just the new Batman Superman logo and one, some people refer to like as world's finest. Uh, they've, they've taken like the first 20 episodes and made two of those DC animated movies out of that are really, really great. But I do. I have, you know, the my first Father's Day gift from my then six-month-old was we went and we got the big, you know, tattoo on my shoulder of that logo. I was waiting forever for that movie. I knew nothing about the movie except Batman faces Superman. Yeah. It wasn't till the day we're going to the movie that my, you know, big mouth little uh, security leak of a smaller <laughs> child tells me, yeah, Papa, Wonder Woman's in this movie. No. Oh. And I, I truly had no idea. I had not seen a poster. I had gone the whole time that the movie was in production and and selling it. I didn't know that until – and then, you know, of course, as soon as you see her in the movie, you're like, oh, you fuck, you ruined mm -hmm. But I do. I, I don't have a lot of sympathy when people say the trailers gave away too much because simply – you can be like me and be completely ignorant. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> it's almost like the tr the current Trump administration is like one big long trailer that I'd like to avoid <laughs> <laughs> for the end of the world. But I mean, before we, before we get off of Spider-Man, I want to say this. Uh, Michael Keaton, fantastic in this movie. Scary as F later on in the movie. Um, that scene uh, towards the end was a very tense, uh, you know, Lordy, that was m quite the tenses. But I think this is the first time 
an actor, now correct me if I'm wrong, but an actor in a superhero movie has, or in the superhero genres have played both a hero and a villain. It's it's happened in the sense when a hero turns bad. Right, but it's the same character. But it's the same He's, character. But an right. actor playing two different characters, one hero, one villain. And and not a hero, an iconic one of the Mount Rushmore of heroes. Right. Heroes. He goes from Batman. Right. To I mean, uh, granted, Vulture isn't exactly the... You know, the villain of all villains, you know, he's sort of the starter villain for Spider-Man. But what a great start. It, it was. And, and it's funny because there are there's there's a list out there of people who've been in both DC and Marvel movies, smaller roles. And they've been, you know, you know, you know one guy that comes to mind. I'm horrible on his name. I, I heard him on a couple podcasts. Really funny guy. He in the um, the Dark Knight, the, the second Christian Bale Batman movie was the cop that Harvey Dent basically kidnapped and was going to kill and it was scaring when Batman basically intervened and kept Harvey from killing him. Yeah. Uh, so he was a bad guy there, but he's played like a smaller good guy role in, in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, but when you take Michael Keaton, who was Batman, and, and for a lot of people, depending on how old you are, that is Batman. The Batman. That was the... It, it, it's funny because you have people who Adam West is Batman. You have some people who Michael Keaton is Batman. You have people like me that Christian Bale is Batman. Uh, not so much Val Kilner. Or Kevin Connolly. <laughs> or... Uh, oh, speaking of Kevin... Or Connolly, do you know who the voice of... The a uh, little bit of a spoiler. The the voice of the suit that Spider Man wears, um, Jennifer Connelly. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that is great. Wife or daughter? <laughs> what is it? His wife or his daughter? No, it's Jennifer Con. Wait, what are we talking about? Jennifer Connelly's the actress who does the voice of the suit. Right, right, right. But, oh. but what's the relation to Kevin? None. Oh, just... uh, Jennifer. Do you know Jennifer Connelly? No. Oh. All right. I'm really dumb. Uh, Slow it down. Uh, all right. Just go back to the 80s and watch some movies, man. That, that is the funny thing. Speaking of that, you know, our, our Netflix pick of the week was Glow a few weeks ago that yes. was set in the 80s. Here, home. Is, is it still your pick of the week, you <laughs> asshole? <laughs> Here, home. <coughs> the theme of their homecoming, you know, and not giving, oh, not right. giving, this isn't a spoiler, it's called Spider-Man Homecoming. So right. the big homecoming party at the, at his high school was an 80s theme and a lot right. of the music sprinkled throughout it was 80s music and stuff like oh, that. Oh, and like, let's touch upon that, the soundtrack. Was great. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's punk, it's. A lot of 80s stuff. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a couple, like Spoon had a song in there that's a great band that's, you know you know early 2000s band and stuff but most of it was 80s stuff yeah. from you know Ramones and you know you got your, well you know I think that's like the 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 go-to punk song right right yeah um so that it was it was it was a really fun movie uh I, I like how it it again kept in real time with the Avengers movie the first one uh, Civil War it tied in a little bit of the storyline from yeah. Civil War into it which was really great I like how they wove the two yeah together uh, oh and again without giving anyway a spoiler <laughs> we want to tell the whole movie right <laughs> there, now there was a, there was a couple other um, nods to 80 movies inside this movie as well 80 movies or 80s 80s movies, movies. Oh, okay well if you total them up maybe there was 80 <laughs> movies yeah, there could have been 80 references in this movie but the, how long was this movie? Like two hours? It flew. Yeah, I know. It, like I honestly, I would have, I could have sat for another hour. And what always surprises me going to Marvel movies, all all, all superhero and sci-fi movies, but especially the Marvel movies, I remember 
what movie? I can't remember which movie, but I took my oldest, who was at like four at the time, and it was a matinee show in the middle of the week. It was like the third or fourth time we saw, it, and there was maybe four or five other people in the theater who got up to leave. So he stood up and put his arms out and told the people, "You have to go sit down. You have to go sit down." And after the first, you know, bonus scene, they were like, "Oh, that was great," and they went to leave again. He's like, "There's more. Sit down." <laughs> and afterwards, the guys were like. <laughs> yeah, he's a really cool kid. Thanks. You know, we would have missed this. Why would you leave until truly the people sweeping up the theater come in and uh, tell you, you know, go home? Right. There's no more here. Uh, what was that? In Ferris Bueller at the very end of the movie where he comes right. out and he's like, go home. It's over. Uh, so until the theater manager tells you, no, I swear the movie screen's been blank for five minutes. It's not coming back on. You you go now. You stay there and you watch because there are. There's two bonus scenes. Right. And if you're paying that much money, I mean, it's like I can't. But yeah, it's like why you put down that much money. And then it's just like as soon as the first word that says the end or directed by, you're out the door. Like people, I can't stand those people who have to just like leave and beat traffic like they're leaving a fucking Super Bowl. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't want to beat the, tra- I want to, I want to beat the traffic getting out of this, you know, matinee movie from three weeks out. There's one light leaving the theater before you hit the highway. <laughs> Maybe you want to get the light cycle just right. But, but seriously, and then after the first halfway through the credits, the first you know bonus scene, people started leaving. We hadn't seen it. I didn't Google to see if there was one at the end. But having seen, I think I've lost count in like the last 10 years. 12 yeah. of, uh, Marvel movies, yeah. Then this was, this was you know, a, a, it was one of those bonus features. Again, no spoilers, but you stay for it, you yeah. know. At, um, and we got Thor coming up in November, and uh, non-Marvel related, we have uh, Star Wars coming up in December. So, so if you were thinking about offing yourself anytime right. soon, just wait until New Year's. <laughs> yeah, come back in off the ledge. Now, as soon as soon as the very last, before the credits, and the last one hilarious line of the movie was was uttered. I looked at Joe, and I'm like, "Does Marvel make bad movies?" Right, and he's like. Iron Man 2, like, didn't, didn't blink, didn't hesitate. But that's something I, I want to touch on real quick. I don't think they've made a bad movie. I don't think they've made a movie that I've been, oh, this is absolutely awful. There's been some that have been so much better than others, but I don't think they've made a movie that I'm like, oh, I can't believe they just dialed this in. I want my $15 back. That's two hours of my life I'll never get back. Even a movie like that had, you know, some really cool moments some really funny moments. That was the first time in that movie that you you saw. And one of the cool things about Iron Man is they work really hard in each and every movie to how his suit gets put on. Yeah. Like like different different, you know, ways he's developed to have the suit. And then the second Iron Man, that's when he's racing the car and Happy just throws him basically a briefcase yep. that he just steps on, you know. <laughs> right, and he just, yeah, steps into the suit. That, so that, you know, that was that was cool. So there was some more. But truly, again, Marvel has just made another, another great movie. Right, and th- I mean... <clears throat> was this a Sony movie or a Marvel? I mean, this is a Marvel movie. It's, it's Marvel Studios. It's a Marvel movie that Sony, and it's funny. I have uh, shout out to my friend, you know, Brandon, who's been over at Sony for about twelve years. Uh, and and one of the things that's you know that Brandon, you know, does is he's re- he's responsible to sign off and approve every trailer around the world. So a movie like Spider Man, there might 
honestly, there might literally <laughs> be several hundred versions of it because in each country you can, you know, you have to change it for each and every country. Yep. You can show this, you can't show that. And then in the course of selling a movie, you'll have four or five different trailers, you know, throughout the thing. And he he's told me so many times, you know, when they when they rebooted Spider-Man after the after the three Sam Raimi's. The, the Amazing Spider-Man. And they went to the Amazing Spider-Man. You know, they thought, okay, well, we're kind of rushing this. But the world was completely exploding with superheroes. And that's their only property. You know, Fox has... Um, X-Men. The X-Men. And, you know, Marvel Studios have pretty much got all their properties back. DC's, you know, owns all of their properties. And so, you know, Universal had the big thing with... uh, Warner Brothers had the big thing with Legendary Pictures to make all those movies. So there's all been those things in place. But they're sitting there watching, you know, X-Men after X-Men after X-Men. And then Batman comes out and then the whole Marvel thing explodes. That's been their only big budget superhero like like franchise that they that they've had in a very long time. Yeah. And so they had the three Sam Raimis over the course of like seven years. And then it was just, I think about three years later, three maybe four, but I think like three years later, the uh the amazing Spider Man the two, which I didn't think were awful. And it, I didn't see them to be honest, but it's not like, you know, I'm not a big comic book guy. I am I, I do like a Mar I'm a, I'm a Marvel movie guy. I'll I'll say that. Uh, but not Marvel TV. You haven't gotten into all those shows. No, I'm sorry. Hey, it, it's not your fault. I blame the people at the Game Show Network for <laughs> consistently showing the best of 1970 match games. Well, hey, which keep I you... haven't seen every Card Sharks there is. So. <laughs> I, I understand. You know. But uh, but that's so. It's interesting that now Sony. You would have thought, like you know, 15 years ago. No way they would have licensed out Spider-Man to back to Marvel Studios. Right. But when they see that this Marvel Studios doesn't do anything that doesn't make several hundred million dollars. Right. That they do it right. That, again, when you, and I keep saying this, when you take a serious D-list team like the Guardians of the Galaxy... And unless you're completely into the weeds on comic books, nobody knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. Like, unless you were a hardcore Marvel guy, they were may, – maybe they were C-list. But I'm saying they were a D-list property that you completely brought to the forefront, that yeah. you are having go toe-to-toe with Avengers. Iron Man was in the same boat. I, I'd say Iron Man was always like a, 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 a B-list, may, maybe C. a C-list. But no, since, because he – he in the comics always had the, um, you know, the back and forth with Captain America, like Civil War, which came out twenty plus years ago in the True. comics, you know, and he did. Uh, he, well, the other thing is there was an Iron Man cartoon way back when there was the '60s Spider-Man. There was also a Captain America. There was also an Iron Man. So Iron Man has been a, a low B, high C lister, yeah. uh, and then when the Civil War thing happened in the comic books, he became a solid B. But the movies have truly, you put him in the conversation, is he on Mount Rushmore, you know, the Mount Rushmore of comics, uh, of the comic heroes, especially over like the last 15, 20 years? Yeah, I think as far as the MCU goes, yes. Right, right. So, so I mean, maybe, you know what, let's, uh, maybe we'll do a side show on the Mount Rushmore's of the different... Right, uh, how long is this, how long of a, uh, how long of a landscape do we have to carve? You know, like, do we need four? Yes. Are we exactly. limited to four heads? 
Well, unless there's some hidden heads on Mount Rushmore that I don't know about. Uh, yeah. That, that, That's where they're hiding so, all the gold. So it's funny. So, yeah. So the fact that Sony really needs Spider-Man to be such a huge property for them. And I don't know what the what the split is on that, the, whether they licensed it away and, and what portion of the, you know, the profits they get. Of course, no movie in Hollywood makes a profit, so I don't know how you split up profits when those don't exist by Hollywood accounting. Right. But it was. It, it's, it's interesting that they not only say, yeah, you can, you know, go ahead and use this, but weave them into the Civil War thing. And even now... You know, pretty much have him being an auxiliary. Uh, he's he's on the Avengers, but he's like a bench. He's on the yeah. He's, on, he's, a, he's, he's an in official bench system. warmer. Yeah, <laughs> he's an official bench warmer. Speaking of bench warming, it's July. So what's on the tip of everybody's tongue? The Patriots, the New England Patriots. Joe, thank you for bringing this up. So hope hopefully my my the, the three people I know who love the Patriots nearly as much as us who wonder each and every week why this isn't an all Patriot all time. This is podcast. the uh, Patriots segment, or as I like to call it, the Joe eats chips while the microphone's <laughs> off segment. We are talking. It is from from the time of the posting of this podcast at midnight tonight. We're talking eleven days until training camp. <laughs> He's actually eating chips. Uh, 11 days till training camp. 26 days to the first preseason game against Jacksonville. Joe, you, you, when, when are you going down to starting the tailgating? You're going to get there like 4 a.m., 5 a.m., get a really good spot for that week one. I'm starting now, brother. <laughs> and and that's a great thing. It's like, you know, the, my favorite preseason game is the first one. Because you have like 90 guys on the bench. It does look like a college football team where you're so close to having to have triple-digit numbers on the players. And the great thing is you, you're looking out and these guys are in an NFL stadium, being paid to be there, wearing the uniform on the bench, and half of them, half of the guys out on that field today, that is the only time in their lives they will ever wear an NFL uniform with their name on it and, and and be part of the roster. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, it's so full of hope, but, you know, it's most like, of them are going to get squashed. It's like official fantasy camp. Yeah. Well, fantasy camp that you had to work your ass off, like, you know, through Pop Warner, through four years of high school, through four years of college. All right. You've literally dedicated. Ding. Like, <laughs> But so we're talking 11 days to the start of training camp, 26 days to the first preseason against Jacksonville, but then 54, just we are Teddy Bruschi days away. Oh, <laughs> we are well played. Teddy Bruschi days away to the season opener against Kansas City on Thursday night football, which, Joe, here's the thing. Last year with with the suspension of Brady, sidebar, I hope they find some reason to suspend Tom Brady the first four games of this season. Julie, at 40, I would literally love for Tom Brady to start every season with a four-game suspension. And maybe— I think Giselle would, too. And maybe each year he keeps playing. Like, next year it's five games. The year after it's six games. You want Tom Brady upright and as healthy as he can be in November, December. Same with Gronk. I hope Gronk gets busted for doing something— I, you know, I don't want to throw anything out there. But, yeah, right. But maybe posing with another porn star wearing his jersey, you know, <laughs> while, uh, like he did a few years ago in Arizona. Oh. But if we could put him in bubble wrap until maybe the end of October, <laughs> maybe the first week of November, we need him in November, December, January, hopefully February. So 
but back on track where last year you had the suspension and you had the revenge tour. You had the, some people call it the scorched earth tour, the, oh my God, you, you know, the last thing you wanted to do is piss off and light a fire into Brady. And you knew once he came back, heads were going to roll. And, and he did. He went 14 and one. Yes. Like last season. So he had the, the whole town, the whole team had this revenge tour. So you were justified, you won, you had the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. Do you think, and I don't think so, I don't think of Belichick, who the next day after the Super Bowl set were six weeks behind half the teams in the NFL, meaning the teams that didn't make the playoffs were already prepping for this season. So one day after the Super Bowl win, he's, we're behind the ball, we got to get moving, we got to make up for lost time. So he's not going to come in slacking. But do, do they come out with as much fire? I mean, how do you have to, to manufacture that much fire? And the crazy thing is even Julian Edelman was asked like this week in, in a national, I think it was on ESPN, is the intent to go 19-0. and 0. It's like you, you've conquered every giant. And, and you do have local people talking about it and national people flat out asking the Patriots – with all the postseason or with all the preseason acquisitions and the pre-draft trades that they did and going out and getting more weapons around Brady and, you know, keeping Jimmy G and stuff like that for insurance. Is that the intent? Or do you think, and of course they're going to say no, you know, they're going to take, you know, they would love to have 19 one game winning streaks, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, is, is that something that they're they're making this unrealistic like target for themselves or goal for themselves to kind of mimic the fire that they had last year? I don't think so. I think they're just playing the best Patriots football that they can. They're not. I guess at this point, you could probably say that they're playing against themselves. You know, like yeah, like they are trying to do better than they've done the previous season. Which is, you know, yeah, better than winning the Super Bowl, what? but better than winning the Super Bowl being down twenty-eight to three. Maybe that. Maybe they want to win the Super Bowl being up at halftime. Um, Which again, you know, it's been mentioned before in this podcast. Will be mentioned almost every podcast. The Patriots have never scored in all the Super Bowls they played in. This is such an anomaly. This is the most effed up thing. It is so preposterous that Tom Brady has played in seven Super Bowls. It's mind-numbing when you think he's had 14 years as a starter or 14, 15 years as a starter and that he has been to a Super Bowl almost half the time he's been in the league, never scored a point in the first half or the first quarter. Right. They've now, I mean, you know, they've broken the record. He's a grower, not a shower, baby. <laughs> so last year, they're 14-2. and two. You know, three and one without Brady, the one loss, you know, without Brady, you know, you had the third string quarterback with a busted hand. It, it, right. That's what it took to, <laughs> to break the New England Patriots. Third, third string quarterback with a busted hand loses to Buffalo. So, you, you know, you take that outlier away. And, you know, with the three playoff wins, they were 17 and one, you know, technically, you know, 17 and two. But how do you do better than that? You don't. <laughs> so looking at their schedule knowing that they have the Super Bowl schedule knowing that they're playing so many good teams on the road this year do, do you, and, and the thing is everybody who's lived through the 07 season doesn't want them to go undefeated they just don't right you want you want a loss 
in the middle of the season, you want something to have Belichick to berate Brady about like halfway through the season. You don't want that pressure because as much as you say you're just thinking about the next, no, you're not. Like no pitcher going into the ninth inning of a no-hitter is is they can say all they want that they were just going out one one pitch at a time. Yeah. It's not true. Right. When you're on the precipice of doing something that has never been done before, then and yes, the Miami Dolphins with a 14 game schedule had in a two round playoffs back then went 16 and 0. Yeah. But but you'll think about it. But what what do you think the realistic uh what is your prediction? Realistic for the Patriots? Uh, regular season and Super Bowl. Uh, Joey the Greek says. <laughs> Joey the Portuguese. Uh, Joey the Portuguese says. <laughs> that's right, I can say Portuguese. You can't. I can. That's my word. <laughs> that's our word. Right. <laughs> what do uh, you mean our word? <laughs> right. What do you mean we? What do you mean, you people? Uh, uh, I don't know. I think. Uh, I mean, they, they, they will have a couple of losses. What are their schedule? What like who are teams that are that they're going to be facing this year? They that, play the Steelers. Yeah. And in the playoffs last year. It was supposed to be the first time that the Steelers in uh, 10 years in the playoffs against the Patriots had everybody healthy. And then, of course, their big running back, Bell, you know, had had some kind of like boo-boo, like, you know, blister on his pinky or something like that. But he ends up begging out of the game. Um, There's always a spoiler, though. I mean, especially in in the AFC East. They always lose. They, they lose one of the Bills. They lose one to the or, uh, the Jets, and they lose one to the the Dolphins. Somewhere in the mix. Somewhere, and you go through some some of the, the bigger losses they had. Well, they start the season against Kansas City, and it was three years ago when, when Tom Brady got pulled in the game in Kansas City. It was, I think, his second worst game. You know, as an NFL quarterback, he had one game a little worse against Miami a few years beforehand in Miami, but he got you know just shellacked in Kansas City. Uh, three years ago, and that's when a uh, deal for you know was famous for saying, you know, he's all done. The Patriots aren't a good team anymore. They're just not a good team. They go on to win the Super Bowl, uh, and then the next year to the AFC title game. And then, uh, anyways, so and they've had they they've gone to Cleveland before and got shellacked by a, a Cleveland team that wound three and thirteen that year, but one big win against the Patriots. So they do, uh, you know, they got Denver, they got. Uh, which which isn't a great team this year. They still got a great defense, but I believe the game is in Denver. So yeah. that's one of the that there in Miami are the two places that is a little bit between Brady's ears. Yeah, and so so I'm gonna say, you know, I, I, of course the Bears, you know, Dick, uh, the Bears, you know, and New England Polish form. sausage. I, I want to say that you know, yeah, this is 19 and 0, <laughs> uh, but realistically, uh, I'll say like 13 and three, and win the Super Bowl. Okay. You know, I'll 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 be a front runner and take the Vegas odds because the Vegas has them, you know, so far ahead of anybody else. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to be the first to say it, and you're all going to say you heard it here first. Julian Edelman gets brought up on gun charges. Are you. <laughs> You wait and see. Oh, you, you, well, you saw him naked on the ESPN the magazine. Man, is he packing guns. <laughs> oh, man. That's a full arsenal right there. <laughs> I don't know what it's full of, but, you know. So I'm saying 13-3. and three, They win the Super Bowl. Uh, who do you, you know, th- throw out a crazy okay. prediction. Who, who do they beat in the Super Bowl this time? Um, why, you know what? Why, why not give Atlanta a second chance? Really? Why the hell not? Okay, I I I I'd be the same team twice. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know why not? Uh, I 
I do not like the Dallas Cowboys. You do not like them, Sam, I am. <laughs> I do not like anything about that organization. I would like, and part of me is like, would like them to never win a game, to never win a playoff game. But I, there's a part of me, the, the uh, what's the German word, Scheisenfreude? No, that's a, t- that's a uh, thing on you porn. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's <laughs> Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude, thank you. Sour grapes. So we're the only fan base that's more obnoxious than the Patriots fan base. And I'm self-aware enough to know why I'm personally hated, <laughs> why I'm hated as a Pats fan, and why collectively Pats Nation is hated. But the only fan base more obnoxious than the Pats fan base is Dallas. Yep. And and they're no more boisterous or obnoxious or or you know buying the the silver sweat. The difference is they haven't done anything in twenty years. Have you seen the Bills fan base? By the way, <laughs> the Bills Mafia. Yeah, the Bills Mafia. You mean the team that celebrates September like nobody's business? <laughs> no one told them the Super Bowl is not played September fourteenth every year. They <laughs> they forgot that. No, but I would love it to be Dallas just. Because, you know, I would just like it to be Dallas. Let me ask you this. Who would win in a Super Bowl? The New England Patriots or Conor McGregor? (laughs) Which is no more absurd than (laughs) McGregor. You know, wait, can he use Brazilian jiu-jitsu moves? Can can he take the fight to the ground? Because (laughs) he has a better chance of beating the Patriots if Ah, he can use. Here's a twist, though. Floyd Mayweather plays for the Patriots. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, then then he doesn't stand a chance. Plus, he's Irish, so he'll be drunk. (laughs) You can say that because you're Irish? No, because I'm drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good times. So... Okay, so we covered Spider-Man, we covered, uh, we covered the Patriots, segwaying. we're done. No, I was segueing <laughs> into the Conor McGregor thing. So you saw that, uh, you saw the 20,000 fans showing up for the Conor McGregor non-weigh-in, uh, Floyd Miller, what the fuck was that? It, 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 it wasn't even a weigh-in, it was just a, they're going on tour, they're doing this in a lot of cities, it's just a hype thing. Just people want to show up live to watch these guys stare each other down. And to talk trash. I mean, that's that's literally Dang. all it is. It is it is watching the WWE and then turning it off when the fight actually starts. Right. It's just just but, watching all the promos. But yeah. twenty thousand people. Jam- These are people who show up for the trailers, by the way. Right? <laughs> for the trailer, right? Who jam the stable Center? Yeah. So so Joe and I had talked about that. You know, I, I jokingly think it was last week. I said, "Hey, in a new segment, is this racist?" So we're going to bring back that statement uh, or, or that new segment. Uh, and this week in racism, or is it racist? When Conor McGregor had said, you know, that he's black from the waist. Down, I missed that. Mark. Oh, that that yeah. That, so that that's the big remark that he's uh, that a lot. Some people are up in arms about this week is, and and the thing how and and I don't know if it was the L.A. one or one of the other, you know, fight hype live things. He was saying that you know he's half black, that he's black from the waist down, and so a lot of people are like, well, although it's a stereotype that. Pun intended. Swings in favor. <laughs> uh, oh, it's not that he can dance really good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, or that he can finish a marathon in under two hours. Or hey, which which you know the Kenyans always win the marathons. And if you're training, you know, involves being chased by tigers, you'd be a great marathon runner too. Now, uh, actually, is that racist? I was going to say. I think we're venu- we're segueing into a new segment called "Am I Racist?" <laughs> and I don't know. 
But seriously, it, I mean, it's one of those things. The 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 uh, PC police, you know, nationally and locally, a lot of people have come out and said they love the trash talking, they love the bravado, they get this. This is theater, but does that take it too far? Is that a racist thing? Which it's really funny because some of the people who you know are are up in arms and saying that that steps over the line aren't aren't on the front line saying that every time Trump calls you know Senator Warren Pocahontas that that's okay. Right. It's not okay. <laughs> Honestly, I think anything can be taken out of into any context and be made to sound racist or even more racist than it actually is, depending on whatever your agenda is, you know? So Joe and I checked with the the Jewish people who run the media to find out if we could talk about this, which, again, is one of those is things. Is this racist? Is this racist? No, but but what is the line between, like, you know, Joking about a stereotype or, or incorporating, like, you know, when, when a George Lopez comes out or, or, or the you did it the other day, Joe and I were talking about this when Homer was Homer Simpson was watching a black comic. <laughs> Go ahead. Do the whole oh, thing. It's the, when he was watching the old hack kind of um, brick wall stand up comedy special where he's watching a black comedian and the black comedian does the hack joke of uh, uh, brothers. They drive like this and he leans back. So Joe is extending his arm, leaning back, looking really cool. And, and white guys drive like this, all hunched over. And uh, Homer laughs and goes, <laughs> it's so true. We're so lame. <laughs> Which, you know, and that's one of the things where if it's on a stand-up thing, is it okay to exploit or make fun of a stereotype yes. or people? Um, if it's your own people. If it's your own. What do you mean, you people? Exactly. <laughs> um, Unless, I mean, think about it. Don Rickles, may he rest in peace. Um, I watched his last uh, Netflix special, the little documentary, where he uh, said a lot of racist-ish uh, jokes at uh, audience members' expense. Not exactly funny, per se, is maybe cringeworthy. <laughs> you know, so there is sort of a... There is something to making fun of your own culture's stereotypes and so will there be a reboot of blazing saddles no even even, any any chance at all why (laughs) why because you can't improve on perfection right yeah no exactly right but but what would anything like that fly today um probably not no i mean there's just the sensibility even back then those sensibilities were almost on the border of being dated Right, you know, like those ty- that type of delivery and humor was just on the board, and you sort of took it with the notion that okay, it's coming from Mel Brooks, who comes from uh, an older generation, so that to him, or to the that to that generation, that humor was you know body and edgy and out there. Whereas today, you watch it, you know, I don't know, I haven't shown Blazing Saddles to my seventeen-year-old son, so I don't know what his take on that you know, humor would right, be. Right. So I don't know, maybe he might find it offensive. Maybe he might find it awesome. Um, the world may never know. And again, like, you, you know, you were talking about Rickles and what was, what was the, you know, he made, he, you know, made a joke. Was it at a correspondence dinner that was just so cringeworthy about, you know, Obama, you know, forgetting his broom or something like that, like referring oh, to him as the janitor? Yeah. Um, yeah. I forget what he was. It was like something about a mop. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Look, Google it. It's worth a Google. It's worth it. And, and again, it was like at, at that point, like, and, and is it, is does he get away with it at that point? Because 
he's A, Don Rickles, and that's a shtick forever? Uh, is it B, the fact that he's just a 90-year-old white guy? Right. 90-year-olds have this license to not give a shit anymore. Literally <laughs> anymore. Uh, so I just have say. to wait about 35, 40 more years. Right. When you, when you turn 90, all of these jokes are going to be charming as fuck. <laughs> Oh, Grandpa, and your racism. How right. cute is that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's like time plus tragedy equals comedy. So y- your tragic jokes plus some a little bit more time will be funny. We're going to break for our defunct sponsor of the week. Is, so, it, blue, is it Blue Apron? Are they still around? They They're are, still around. How about buying gold? Uh, have you thought about buying gold, Joe? <laughs> I have. In this economy. I'm buying moon rocks. <laughs> <laughs> My money's in moon rocks. But no, uh, we're going to break for our defunct sponsor of the week. So defunct, you would think that Trump ran the business. There's a professional football league that believes having fun is the most important business at hand. where football is still a game. The preceding message presented on behalf of the United States Football League. Speaking of Trump, now we, we, we've, we've done Spider-Man, we've done everything except go over the political stuff. And we haven't touched the political stuff this week because basically when Joe and I were talking the other day, uh, you know, Joe, Joe had lamented that it's getting tiresome and that it's not funny. And I agree. And I said to Joe, the only thing is it's daunting and it's draining and it's futile to white guys sitting here, you know, bitching about it. But part, you know, part of me is, you know, the, the more I thought about it, it, it's that's how, quote unquote, they win. And I do say they win. And part of the problem with the lefty tree hugging, you know, snowflakes like myself is we do not have the fight in us that the other side does. We we just don't, you know. You know the 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 old joke, and I think I said it last week when you know Democrats, you know, form a firing squad, they stand in a circle, you know, and and the end fighting between Bernie people and Hillary people, eight months. We're talking eight months later is still raging. Yep. Nobody's stepping forward, taking leadership, you know, truly of the party. You you look at the other side. I mean, Rover's way. That was in 1973. You weren't even a, you know, a glimmer in your parents' eyes yet. Right. They've never lamented from that fight. There's never been an election cycle, whether it's local or, you know, on the, on the, on the national level, that that hasn't been a huge talking point. There are people in the Senate and in Congress who run on that platform alone. Yeah. You know, they have not wavered on that fight for like 43 years. You know, and, and same thing, you know, you think about... Is this doing anything? Is this bitching doing anything? Is this Russia, Russia, Russia thing tiring? Well, Benghazi, Benghazi, Benghazi for, you know, several years, you know, hurt Hillary. They never, there was nothing there. They fought when there was nothing to fight over. They created the conspiracy for six years of being birthers. And they never, to the day Obama was out of the White House, never wavered on that. There were still people, even during the election cycle, you know, Trump was asked point blank about it. And he wasn't, you know, saying, you know, at one point he goes, yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you know, he's a citizen. But hey, what do I know? It's like after spending. Mil- so, it, it, you know, so we're not we're not going to sit here and, and lament over every little, you know, nook and cranny. But at the same time, 
you know, the Tea Party, they never stopped fighting. And now they are the conservative wing of the conservative wing of the party. You know, maybe you're right about one point is that I think one point. <laughs> shut up. I think about it and thinking about it now, I think Democrats and liberals tend to rest on the laurels of, well, the truth will set us free. We're, what we're pro- propagating here are facts. And the basis that, that they are facts should perpetuate itself. Like, we're not purporting something that is a falsehood. We're not trying to propagandize anything that isn't true. So therefore, why should we put in so much effort to propagate the truth? It should be self-evident, you know? And what happens is that the Republicans, for the most part, in my opinion, tend to take sort of this, these truthiness kind of opinions that aren't exactly based in fact, and but just beat it into everybody's skull over the course of years. And, you know, the, a lie repeated enough times will become the truth. And that's where, I think that's where they go to the gym every day. Like, that's where they get their workout, you know. And that sort of propagating of the truth probably has to become, you know, second nature to hardcore liberals, or not even hardcore liberals, just people who are, are, you know, even independent people who just want the facts to be uh, known, to not just let the facts sit out there and just say it once. Like, you know, well, this is a fact. You can just look it up. The, the sad part is the truth doesn't come into play, you know, w- with that side. The millions upon millions upon millions, the hours upon hours, at one point, you know, there was an 11-hour hearing with Hillary over Benghazi. Every branch of the government, every branch of the military had come out and said she did everything she was in power to do. But it didn't stop them from using that against her right up until Election Day. The same thing, the emails, there was nothing to the emails. There was the, oh, these could have been something. But on the other side, now with Donald Jr. this week, not only what there could be something – not is there an email that could have led to a meeting with the Russians? Here is the email setting up the meeting. But yet they never relented. And, and my whole point is, it it is it's daunting, it's fatigue. But if you throw your hands up and say, what is the point? If you, you know, disenfranchising the voters, if they make it harder and harder for somebody to be able to vote, if they keep moving the goalpost, it gets frustrating. But you go way back and, and you know, and I, I did, I did a good five minutes of research, but you find out that, you know, in 1881 in the Island of Man, that was the first place in Western civilization. Oh, that, the Isle of Man. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That gave women who owned property. You had to own property. So if your husband died and you own the property or if it was, you know, you know, you got it from your father in a will or something. If you were a property owner in 1881, you could vote. And, and then you think, okay, from from that point on, you know, the suffrage movement in the United States started in ni- 1896. It wasn't till 1920. They got the right to vote. Yep. Slavery was, you know, abolished. You know, the uh, the Emancipation Proclamation came out in 64, 1864, and it wasn't until the Voter Right Act of 1965. The Civil Rights Act. The Civil Rights Act yeah. that, you know, that Johnson, that Kennedy had started, that Johnson put into law. We're talking a hundred years later. Right. And Better late than ever. And, and, and you think about the fighting, like literally Ding. the people, the women who were beat for wanting to vote, the people who, you know, the, the African-Americans lynched for trying to vote. 
uh, it's one thing to move the goalpost and make more restrictive voter IDs and, and have less voting machines in the inner city, make it you know more of a laborist task to vote and, and persuade people to not vote versus being lynched for trying to vote. You yeah. know, so it is. It's daunting and it's horrible. But these are the same. This is the same group of people that have been doing this that that made women fight for 50 years before they could vote. And then it was, like I said, a hundred years from the Emancipation Proclamation to the Civil Rights, you know, Act, a hundred years later. So this absolutely sucks. And and you know, the moving the goalpost sucks. The fact that this past week the email comes out that everything that we were hoping for, because first it we never talked to Russia, never talked to Russia, Michael Flynn, Manafort, one by one, you know, sessions, all these meetings come out. Oh, I forgot that meeting. Oh, no, I didn't lie on my security thing. I forgot I had that meeting. You know, Jared Kushner forgot that he went to the Russian embassy and tried to install a, a line that they could talk to. Her. He forgot about that meeting. But here is Donald Trump Jr., you know, with Manafort, who was a campaign manager at the time, and Kushner CC'd on it, lining up a meeting with the woman who, you know, this week had, you know, come out and said, first she said, no, she had nothing to do with the Russian government. And now she came out this week and said, yeah, she was, <laughs> she was working with the Russian government. And the people, even on the Fox News, on one hand, you have people like Chris Wallace this week who, who, who Fox News people are like, when does the lying stop? Yeah. When do they come clean? At the same time, Fox News has gone from, look look at these snowflakes talking about Russia. It never happened. Fake news, fake news to, well, yeah, Russia meddled in the election. All of the, all of the intelligence agency in our country and worldwide said it happened. But there was no collusion to this week saying, okay, well, yes, obviously the Russians did it. Obviously there was collusion. But collusion isn't a crime, really. If, if, if you think about it, collusion really isn't a crime. Is is actually literally what, what they are saying this week that, well, yes, it did happen. So the moving the goalpost is tiring. But Joe, when I talked to Joe the other day, and I got it and I sensed it, and, and I get the same way, right after the election for about a month, I buried my head into Patreon its podcast and news and stuff and I didn't want to admit it and Joe's like it's a reality you can't bury your head in the sand forever I it was maybe a good two months I couldn't listen to political thing I couldn't talk about it I Thank God the Patriots went on the run that they That's did. That's what I was going to say. God forbid the Patriots <laughs> didn't go to the Super Bowl and win. You'd have nothing to listen I, to I, I except have your to, own empty thoughts. Seriously. And, and I, you didn't have the box set of Get a Life yet. So, <laughs> so it would have been really as, as, as much as it was a dark time. But here's the thing, Joe. It matters. And it I does. do. I, I take five minutes a day and I make one call. I, I, I make an effort to write one email to a state official, you know, be it, be it a state center, be it Elizabeth Warren's office. You can pick up the phone. If you have no idea who your state rep is in Congress, you can call the switchboard and ask, here's my zip code. And you will not talk to the guy, but believe me, they write down every call and what you're talking about. And don't call and talk for 10 minutes. Just call and say, and go with the script. Go with it, like, make it, you know, keep it simple, stupid, <laughs> you know. You go in and you say one thing. Like, this week, you call up and you say, please, please protect net neutrality. Please protect net neutrality. It's an important issue. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It is important. Or, or call up and say, look, I know my senator is going to vote against Trump care, but please, this 
this, this is important to me. I have a child who was born with a pre-existing condition who 20 years from now will not be able to get insurance if this goes through. Please keep fighting for this. Even if they're on the same side with you, call up your people. Take five minutes. Honestly, at a red light, ask Siri, you know, you know, hit, hit the one button on your hands free so you don't get into an accident while at a red light and say, you know, call the, the, the Senate and, you know, get the number and you will feel like you're not a victim. You will feel like you're doing something to fight back. Every senator, state, local, you know, person, your national senators and, and Congress people, their emails are all online. It won't take more than one minute to Google, you know, who's my senator? Just put who's my senator, you know, put in your zip code, put who's my congressperson, put in your zip code. One click, you get the person's email address and just send a two line thing saying, you know, dear congressperson, this is where I live. Please protect my health care. Please protect net neutrality. Please keep a woman's right to choose in place, whatever your thing is. And instead of just a couple snowflakes sitting in a basement bitching about it, you will feel like you're doing something. And that's, believe me. The tea, believe me, the Tea Party people wore a bunch of wing nuts in funny costumes who didn't know what they were talking about. Like all the comedians who went to their early, early meetings and stuff like that. They were disorganized. There was no real leadership. The Koch brothers, it turned out, had funded the whole thing. But look, 10 years later, they control a quarter of the Senate. They control a quarter of the House. Honestly, when you heard that the first attempt at passing Trump care wasn't conservative enough that it didn't go to that it didn't go far enough that that group of people the the freedom caucus i think they yes. were called the the 20 people in the freedom caucus those were all tea party people that's how powerful that the tea party people are that they scare the rest of the republicans to bending towards their will you take 5 minutes a day and you don't feel as helpless you don't feel like you don't have a voice. When do we get our corporate funding? Because, you know, I mean, granted, yes, Hollywood money is fantastic. You know, all these fascists in Hollywood with their big Hollywood spending money uh, want to, you know, propagate all of these uh, causes and, you know, fascism this and fascism that, as you hear from the right. But then let alone the thousands upon thousands of corporations that lobby Washington for their causes that, yeah, like you said, the Koch brothers, you know, funded the Tea Party movement. Our, our, our friend Dan, Joe and I talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago. Dan on his Facebook page put the libertarian 1980 libertarian platform online. They, they published, this is what we believe in. And I told you at the time, even the Reagan people were like, oh my God, this is batshit crazy. These people are complete lunatics. One of the two Koch brothers was the vice president, you know, nomination from the Libertarian Party in 1980. Here it is, you know, for almost 40 years later, you see that all the things on that have either come to fruition or are about to. And again, because they never stopped fighting. They never stopped complaining. And they yet, never stopped funding. They never they never stopped funding. So it's true. I, I've thought about that before. It's like, what if what if a George Clooney, instead of offering a million dollars to, you know, host a, a the the Democrat presidential party at his house, said to um, as Trump called him, you know, the we don't know who's doing the hacking. It could be some four hundred pound guy in his parents' basement. What if what if George Clooney said to the four hundred pound people in their parents' basement? I will give a million dollars to anybody who comes up with. But that's not enough. 
the Trump, the Trump tax return. Honestly, like we need like Warren Buffett type of money. We need Bill Gates type of money. We need Apple kind of money. We need like the dumb. We being lefty pinko liberals like us, we the the Democratic Party needs that kind of huge crazy money from somewhere. And unfortunately, the Republican Party favors the companies or the corporations with the most money. Do you oh. know, and and, what, what, and right. serves their interests. Well, what's awesome is when they say the liberal media. It's like no, the media isn't liberal. The media is owned by these huge corporations. That when, when you when you see that Rush Limbaugh is on over, I think it's like seven hundred stations in the country. There is not a progressive station in the city of Boston. You know, there's NPR, which NPR, you know, just ran a three hour uh, or PBS rather, just you know, ran a three hour. Puff piece produced by the Betsy DeVos campaign, like the Betsy DeVos, you know, corporation had put together a thing, and they paid NPR enough to put it on there. They need the funding. Yeah, there's the NPR station, uh, ninety point nine, the WBUR station, yeah. tends to lean, you know, you know, mostly left, but they have conservative shows on. There's no equivalent to Fox News. Right, there is no like what happened to Air America. Right, exactly. Speaking of Air America, thanks for bringing this up. Joe and I, over the past week, has sent you know messages back and forth. Dude, Al Franken is on this podcast. Al Franken is on that podcast. I moments ago said there's nobody stepping up, you know, taking over the Democrat Party. Is Al Franken putting a run together? No. You really don't think so? Selling a book. It's all, okay, so he does have a book out, and what we referred him on um, Mark Marin's show, Larry Wilmore's show, and there was another show that we I just. I mean, he'd been on the Daily Show. He's been on a couple of TV shows. I'm sure he's been on Conan or something. But that's all. But Colbert. The, but but that is always the blueprint. What people do when they are running, they for you know it doesn't matter if it's Bernie or if it's Hillary on either side. About a year before they announce their run, they put out a book, you know, and. What one of the things I've liked about Al Franken, and it's amazing that he's talking about this now because he's been in the Senate for a while, that he doesn't do the TV shows and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't go on the TV shows and use his his pull as a comedian, his pull as an entertainer, his pull, you know, with Saturday Night Live and stuff like that to go and campaign or to go and get his agenda across. He's just done nothing except be the best senator he can be for his constituents. And the, and the nation as a whole, but now he's he's been more vocal and more public like the last since the election, basically since the election. And I think he's basically saying, if, "I'll I'll step up," like or or our voices have to be heard more. And maybe if his voice has to be heard more by writing this book and doing these shows, maybe that's part of it. Yeah, I think that you know these tours have to pay for like somebody has to pay for these tours, and I think maybe he's using the publisher's money as a vehicle to go out and be more vocal you know before whereas before he would have had to you know put together some sort of pack or something in order to raise the funds to go out and you know right so maybe like mike pence having that big fundraiser about two weeks he did he had a big fundraiser for himself not for the trump pence 2020 you know which has been filed for and they're they literally running for president of 20 in 2020 Right. Like at right now, because you can take campaigns yeah. now. Yeah, you, you you can start building up that word. But with Al Franken, here's the funny thing: we were talking about this a few weeks ago that Sessions has rolled back the 
the maximum sentences for the lowest infraction of possession. So, you know, again, some, you know, kid gets pulled over in a car with a joint, could be facing like 20 years in jail and all that stuff, where two of the last three presidents have openly admitted to smoking pot. Now you have Al Franking running, who, you know, when he talks about it, he was a comedy writer in the 80s, you know, or in the 70s. He was on Saturday Night Live, which I'm not sure if cocaine was an absolute currency recognized. I think cocaine as a currency in the 70s was more recognizable than Bitcoin is today. (laughs) (laughs) If he didn't explicitly say that he was not running for president or he had no aspirations to run for president on the Mark Maron podcast, I would tend to agree that maybe he is running for something. Um, But uh, I don't know. I'm going to take him at his word that he's not running for president. But, of course, things can change, you know? And lots of times people, like Paul Ryan has never been running for president, but he wanted to be asked. He wanted to be begged and coddled into it. And I don't think that's the type of person Al Franken is, but I think by upping his cue now... You think he's a Japanese businessman who has to be asked five times before he does something? Like he has to be asked over and over again, do you do you want to run for president, sir? And then finally he relents and says, yes, okay, fine. To, to save face? Yes. See, that's one Japanese term <laughs> I know. So, um, But... Yeah, I I think he's starting to be more public. And and if not to run for himself, to maybe – maybe he's running to be vice president. Maybe he's upping his cue or he wants a more – a bigger voice. And and, and again, you know, where I specialize in beating a dead horse, getting back to making – just sending one email, just one email, one phone call a day, as cliche as it is, oh, your vote counts. He won his first Senate seat. By less than a thousand votes, literally less than a thousand I, votes. I want to say it was closer to like three, four hundred. They had to do two recounts, I think. They did because yeah. under a certain amount, it's a recall, and then under that amount, you know, it's a second recall. And, and at the time, like the Senate was split. I mean, there was a couple, there was a couple things, you know, that they really needed the Democrat vote for. So it was, even though he didn't, he won, he didn't go in right away, which actually, you know, the Republicans used that time to usher through a a few things. So I think he's really upping his cue. Well, how about this? If he does run for president, I hope his vice president uh, candidate is uh, named Stein. (laughs) Why would you want his vice president to be named Stein? Wouldn't you want to vote for a Frankenstein ticket? (laughs) Ah, you see what he did there? Uh, Which... No, let me look. Going down the run, mate. Oh, what time is it? It's time to end this fucking pot. Oh, wait. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, it's time for our random video game review of the week. I know you've all been waiting for this moment. Jacques has spun himself around. He's picked a game off the Nintendo Entertainment System collection shelf that I have, sadly. And I'm now going to look at the gap on the wall. By the old gap on the wall, I can tell that he pulled out a game from i believe the s column it, it's before section z i'm gonna say cycross i know i'm wrong oh oh man how apropos how apropos to this week's news russian attack spell it out uh, it's rush like the band apostrophe n attack it's a classic konami game konami did a lot of arcade games in the 80s and uh, 90s. This is an 80s game, obviously. I forget what the original name was. Remember when the Russians were the bad guy? Yeah, I know. This takes me back. (laughs) To last year. (laughs) Right. Uh, 
the guy on the cover is like a green beret looking dude who with a uh, what kind of gun is that? I can't tell. That's like a, some sort of machine gun kind of I don't know what it is, but um, but basically it's a run and gun kind of game where you're a soldier who's um, running away from or you're infiltrating a, a, a like a Russian base or something like that, and you're fighting Russians or the Russians are invading us. I forget. It doesn't fucking matter. You have a gun. You run into the right of the screen constantly, and the Russians are attacking, and you're attacking back. And you use knives. You use guns. You use grenades. If the if the Russians look your president in the face and say, "No, we're not attacking you," is the game over and you win? That's how, it. How does that How does that work? You take them at their word, unlike. When um, Trump didn't take Obama's word when he swore that he was born in the United States. Uh, thank you, Larry Wilmore, for that note, <laughs> but that I stole. So b- getting back to Russian Attack, it's a great game. It's a decent port from the arcade game. And it's Konami, back in the heyday when Konami didn't fucking suck. Fuck you, Konami. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I said it along with Guillermo del Toro. Take, look, at, look it up. Now it's the, the, more, the second most exciting moment of your week when I try to guess how much Russian attack goes for on eBay, which I'm sure Jacques has pulled up right now. Card alone, loose cartridge, I'm going to say $6. You know, uh, you, you, you split the uprights because I'm seeing it as low as 99 cents. <laughs> <laughs> and as high up as $9.99 you have with to see, free shipping. You have to go to the sold items. I don't know if you can do that on eBay. You don't have the advanced eBay app, but there's a way to look it up where you can look for just the sold items and see those prices. That's the more accurate. That, that That's what I will do next week. All right, so we're going to wrap it up with uh, the parenting tip of the week. I'll go first. The right answer is never, I just don't give a fuck. For example, let's say one of your children, both your children are into something like a Pokemon where there's... There's so many draining characters. And when you're driving and you're asked, uh, Papa, who do you think is better, this unpronounceable Pokemon creature or this unpronounceable uh, Skylander figure? The right answer is never, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Now, we know the answer is, yeah, I don't give a fuck. What I try to do is, you know, kind of parrot back to them. It's like, oh, which one is that? What's his power? And then it's like, which one do you think, buddy? Oh, you oh, engage yeah. in your yeah, children's that one. conversations? Oh, dude, it's, oh, if you don't, I know. it goes on. You right. Know? And, Wait, and, it's that or talk to the wife? Oh, no. Not, not that. <laughs> and happy birthday. <laughs> but happy birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, and my parenting tip of the week, uh, explain to your children what porn is before taking them to a superhero movie that references porn. It's a, it makes a world of difference, and it makes for a less uncomfortable situation when the entire audience laughs at the porn joke when your eight-year-old is sitting next to you. Joe and I took our families, not willingly to the movie, but we took both our families there, and you could hear to my right where Joe's child was and to my left where one of mine was, and they both asked. Thank God they both looked to their mothers and asked what it was, and Joe and I did the... <laughs> right in You know, pretending that we didn't hear that, but... Yeah, I like that. I like that. Uh, so I, I think uh, solid show, Joe. Nah. This week we're going to end with a song from our friend Dave's band, The Rationales, who uh, have a show at the Middle East Upstairs, August third. Actually, I'm springing this on Joe now. I'm going to try to get Dave, the singer-guitarist from The Rationales, to maybe come on and do a show before his uh, August third at the Middle East Cafe. It's a Thursday night. We will be there. It's a CD release party for the Rationales. What's uh, a CD? 
<laughs> do, do you have digital download parties? I mean, I know. it's hard to. Here's a bunch of binary codes on this disc <laughs> for you. So, so that we're going to try to make happen. Unless there's anything else, Joe. Uh, I would just say, oh, don't, oh, geez, dude, don't forget. Never know